We had a, a great day yesterday with the International Student Furniture Giveaway. I want to just say, way to go, Grace Bible Church. It was a great day. We got to serve hundreds of international students, really practical way, show them the love of Jesus Christ. I want to thank our, our community outreach team, uh, Pat Coyle, Chris McGuffey, Bell Roberts, and their whole team. Uh, it was really an amazing day. And, and you know, the, the weather stayed relatively cool through the morning, right? Uh, I do, I really, actually, I need to inform you, though, our air conditioner has been out all week, in this whole building, and we got it fixed yesterday, and uh, it, it's going out again right now. <laughs> so I've got a, I got a long message, and I'm not cutting anything. <laughs> Unless Reveille barks, right? Reveille's back there. If Reveille barks, it gets too hot for Reveille, then we'll quit. Otherwise, we're plowing through, people, okay? So turn to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, through the years, I have had many friends who have lived in uh, East Asia. You know, they make a lot of products in uh, East Asia. They also make a lot of knockoffs, a lot of fake products in East Asia. And from time to time, my friends have offered to purchase me uh, some of the products. I had a, a friend ask me a few years back, he said, do you want me to get you a North Face jacket? I can get you a really nice North Face jacket for a really good price. He said, I can get you actually a North Face or I can get you North Farce. It's your choice, you know. Which you want to buy, which you want to pay for. Uh, some of the, the knockoffs are better than others, obviously. Uh, one of my favorite knockoffs, uh, I've shown you a couple of these pictures before, but this is my favorite, my favorite knockoff of all times. It's not a, it's not a, a, a Wii console, it's a, it's a Wii Wii console. Uh, <laughs> obviously, some of the knockoffs are better than others. I have a, a brother-in-law who got an Omega watch a few years back, and he told me that just recently he was sitting in a meeting with this kind of high-powered business guy, and the guy looked over and he saw my brother-in-law's watch, and he he said, oh, I see we're both Omega men, right? (laughs) Kind of proud, oh, we're both Omega men. And my brother-in-law, he just, he couldn't bring himself to say, yeah, but but you paid thousands and I paid $12. (laughs) Because it it was just such a great imitation, guy couldn't tell the difference. Great imitation which is, in a sense, the goal of the Christian life. You didn't know where I was going with that illustration, did you? The goal of the Christian life is that we would be a great imitation of God. Paul puts it explicitly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. God is your father. You're God's daughter, God's son. And God's designed for your life. The reason that he made you in his image is so that you would be like him, so that you would imitate him. This summer we've been studying theophanies, that is, uh, manifestations of God, where God breaks into human history in a really unusual and remarkable way and manifests himself. And the best theophany, the most glorious and wonderful theophany, is when God became man. God took on human flesh. And so this morning, we've actually saved the best for last. We're going to look at the incarnation, God becoming human flesh in his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me, Philippians chapter 2, if you're not there, in verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Paul writes, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Um, this passage, you've probably read it many, many times. It's uh, been described as the, the Mount Everest of Christology. Okay, it is, it's probably a hymn. It is a, a beautiful statement about the theology of Jesus, who Jesus is. But interestingly, Paul didn't write it for the sake of simply putting theology in our minds. It's a call to action. It's a challenge to the Philippian believers. It's a challenge to us. Not just say, this is what Jesus is like. Now you've been informed. But this is what Jesus is like. Now be like Jesus. So he says, have this attitude or literally let this be the orientation of your entire life. Just like Jesus. And Paul gives us a glimpse into the the heart and the mind of Jesus. His orientation in life, his, his mindset, his motivation and his actions. And he says, now live like this. Live this way. And so I want to make a few observations from Jesus' life and then apply them directly to us and how we should live. The first is this. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Read with me again verse 6. It says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Now, I don't really like my translation at this point because when I read that he existed in the form of God, a form of something doesn't seem like the real thing. That word has a connotation to me of something that's an imitation of the real thing. But in Greek, it means actually the very nature of something. Or as one writer said, that which truly characterizes a given reality. In other words, Jesus was God. Jesus is God. It says literally, who was always existing in the very nature of God. And as you read this New Testament, you discover this is the consistent testimony of every writer throughout the New Testament. Let me illustrate. First, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Jesus, he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his nature. There is no ambiguity in that. Jesus is God. Or as Paul himself said in the book of Colossians, for in him all of the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God, Jesus was God, Jesus has always been God, and Jesus knew that he was God. There was no question in his mind. I want you to turn back with me to the book of John, John's Gospel, and chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is not saying that he is the Father. Because Father, Son, and Spirit are three distinct persons. What he's saying is, if you've seen me, you have seen the very nature of God, Philip. This is who God is. Turn back to chapter 13. Verse 3, chapter 13, 14, all the way through chapter 17 is what's known as the Upper Room Discourse. This is Jesus' final address to his disciples before he goes to the cross. He concludes it by praying for them, and he lays out for them his hope for them, his expectation of their suffering, and his prayer for them. Upper Room Discourse begins in chapter 13. Notice what Jesus, uh, what John records for us in verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God... That he was going back to God. He got up from supper. He laid aside his garments. 
He took a towel and he girded himself about and then he got on his hands and knees and he crawled around the room and he scrubbed the dirt from between the toes of all of his disciples, including Judas. Wow. I I actually, I read John chapter 13 over and over and over again throughout the year. Uh, It reminds me that um, when I'm treated like a servant, it's because I am a servant. But it also reminds me that, that Jesus did this out of perfect security in who he was. Okay, notice what it says again. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and that he was going back to God, he rose up, girded himself about as a servant, bent low and served, because Jesus knew exactly who he had been forever. He was God. He knew he was going to return to the Father. He knew that the Father had given the entire universe into his hands and that upon exaltation and return to this earth, he would rule and reign once again over all of his creation. And so Jesus, knowing exactly who he was, could serve without resentment or frustration. He could just give. Men and women, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Beloved by God. Created in the image of God. No no other creature, nothing else is made in the image of God. Only you, men and women, so that we can have a deep and personal and abiding relationship with God and then we can reflect the very glory of God. We can rule and reign. We can exhibit God's strength and power on earth. Just us. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. The blood of Jesus Christ has paid the debt of all of your sins. You've been reconciled. That is brought back into right relationship with God. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are secure forever because all of your debt has been paid. You are adopted into the family of God, forgiven everything and loved forever. Do you know that? Because I would argue if you don't know that and if you, just don't, if you don't just cling to that every day, you cannot follow the example of Jesus Christ. You might try to serve, but you're, you're going to serve out of, out of fear or guilt or a sense of duty, simply an obligation, but not out of a sense of freedom and faith. But when you know who you are and you know how incredibly rich you are in Jesus Christ, then you can turn around and just give and give and give. When, even when people are just taking and taking and taking, you can give because you are rich in Christ. That's where you have to start. And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, let me encourage you. Oh, that would be the perfect way to start a new semester. Just come before God and say, God, thank you that you gave Jesus to remove the debt of my sins and give me eternal life. Thank you for telling me who I am this morning. And then when you do, you can turn around and you can have a life that is so rich and so full because it's a life following the pattern of Jesus Christ, which is God's design for your life. So first, Jesus knew exactly who he was. Second, Jesus relinquished his rights. Turn back to Philippians again with me, chapter 2. In verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing always in the very nature of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Paul says Jesus was God, and if Jesus was and is God, then I think we could safely say Jesus had rights, right? If anybody had rights, Jesus had rights because he made everything. He owns everything. He had rights, and yet he chose to surrender or sacrifice or relinquish all of those rights. Paul drives home this point with three phrases. 
He says, first, he didn't grasp equality with God. That is, he had equality with God, but he didn't cling to it. In other words, he didn't use his equality with God, his godhood, to promote himself or to protect himself. I want you to think back to the temptation in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted three times by Satan. One of those temptations, Satan took him up on the pinnacle of the temple, which we understand is is the corner of the temple mount, highest point in the temple mount. Below it is a a valley, main thoroughfare that bisects Jerusalem, runs uh, north and south. Main thoroughfare was also uh, the commercial district. And Satan took him there and he said, throw yourself down because the angels can just swoop down and catch you. What is he tempting him to do? He's tempting him to prove he's God. He's saying, jump down into the crowd and everyone will see the angels swoop down and rescue you. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to force God to prove what he has already told me is true. I am his beloved son and he's well pleased with me. In the wilderness, Satan came to him after 40 days of fasting and said, make the stones into bread. You've done it before. All right, you were with Israel in the wilderness. They were starving and you made stones into bread. You brought bread up out of the soil and you're really hungry, Jesus. Go ahead. Use your divine strength, your divine right to feed yourself. And he says, no, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, I will not take advantage of my deity to preserve myself to provide for myself, to save myself. Right at the end of his life, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas came up to him and kissed him on the cheek. The Roman guards rushed in to take Jesus captive so that they could torture him and crucify him. And in that moment, Peter had a, a, a moment of bravery. He took out his small sword and he sliced the ear off one servant. Jesus says, Peter, Relax. Your sword really is of no power here. And you're failing to realize that I have hundreds of thousands of angels at the ready. And I could just call. As a matter of fact, Peter, they're probably ready. They, they, they don't know this full plan of the Father. And they're probably stunned as they watch me being taken captive, about to be crucified. They would love to pull their angelic swords and slice Rome to bits. But I say no. Because no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down. That is my choice. Jesus relinquished his rights. He did not grasp equality with God. Paul says he emptied himself. He poured out himself, which does not mean that he gave up deity. It means that he chose not to exercise his rights as God. In fact, this phrase is explained by the next phrase. He emptied himself by taking on the form of, of a slave. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, who although he existed in the form of God. And we said that word for form means the reality, the exact representation of his likeness. And he's not just in the form of God, really God, but he's also really a slave. Why did Paul choose this word? My translation, it says bondservant. You need to scratch that out and write slave. Paul chose this word specifically because slaves do not have rights. See, Jesus didn't identify himself with the rich and powerful. He actually didn't even identify himself with the poor. He identified himself with those who had no rights whatsoever in the culture. He took on the form, the reality of a slave. He gave up all of his rights. 
In other words, for all of eternity, Jesus had existed as God. He was God. There's never a time that he wasn't God. He knew he was God in the incarnation. But in that moment, he said, no, I choose to relinquish all of my rights. I'm going to identify with a broken and fallen humanity. I'm going to identify with their weakness. I'm going to identify with their suffering. I'm going to identify even with death. How is that possible? Because Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was always God. He knew he was returning to the Father. He knew the Father had given all things into his hands. And so he could turn and he could serve and he could give. And Paul says, this is your pattern. Live like this. Live like Jesus. Third, Paul says that Jesus embraced obscurity. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. When Jesus was born, a star appeared in the east. And Magi saw it. They were very wise, and they noticed that it was the star of a king. And so they traveled from the east to find a king. And where did they go to look for the king? Where would you go to look for a king? They went to the capital city. They went to the palace, and they arrived at the palace, and they spoke with the king at that day, King Herod. And they said, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We must find him here, right, in the palace. That's where kings are. But he wasn't there, was he? No, he's just, he was down the road at a, at a tiny little dusty peasant town called Bethlehem. And he was living among the peasants. That's where Jesus was. He wasn't in the palace. He was with the peasants. He was obscure. Now, what's interesting is, to me is that if you study world religions, you'll find that this pattern of incarnation is in lots of religions. You're not just Christianity, the, the gods become men and women. But when the gods become men and women, they don't become obscure. They become great men and women. They become powerful rulers or they become mighty warriors. They don't become obscure. But when Jesus came to earth, he became just a man, just a common man. Now, for those of you who've been with us this summer, I want you, I want you to think about the, the theophanies that we've studied so far. Because in each of them, you, you see these similar patterns. That is, when God breaks into human history and he reveals himself to certain men and women, they don't miss the point, do they? Right? They're never mistaken that they have just interacted with God. Right? Moses sees a burning bush, he turns aside, and all of a sudden God is speaking to him from that bush. He takes off his sandals, he hits the deck on his face, and he is in fear. And he realizes when he gets up, I have spoken with God. When Elijah is tucked into the cave and he hears the storm and the rocks are breaking apart and then God calls him out and whispers to him, there's no mistaking for Elijah that he's just spoken with God. Or when Elijah is pronouncing woes on everyone around him and on all the nations around him, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. But then he comes into the very throne room of God. He says, woe to me because God has revealed himself to me and I'm a man of unclean lips. He doesn't walk away and say, no, who was that? There's no mistaking. But when Jesus, the Son of God, takes on human flesh, everybody missed it. No one was walking around Galilee saying, God is over here, and God is revealing God. You should come see this. This is an amazing theophany. Forget Moses. Forget Elijah. Forget Isaiah. This is it. No one. No one got it. Why? Why did everyone miss it? Because the humanity of Jesus, the the human nature of Jesus, veiled God's glory. 
Isaiah chapter 53. It says, he, that is the son, he sprouted up like a twig before God, like a root out of parched soil. He had no stately form or majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow him. As you drove to church this morning, how many twigs did you pass? <laughs> did you look at a single one? And when Jesus came, he was just like a twig, like a, like a root. When the ground gets dry and the root rises up, and you, you might trip on it, but you don't stop and contemplate and worship. The humanity of Jesus, it veiled the glory of God, but I would also argue it revealed the glory of God. God taking on human flesh revealed something about God that God couldn't show us in any of the other theophanies, in any of the other manifestations of God. So this is in John chapter 118. No one has ever seen God, right? That's what Moses was told. Moses, I can't show you the fullness of my glory. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand here. I'm going to cover it. And you'll see just a glimpse, just a shadow of my glory. Because if you saw all of my glory, you'd die. And you don't want to die and I don't want to kill you. No one has ever seen God. Not the fullness of his glory. But the only one that is the unique one who is himself God. That's Jesus, who is in the closest fellowship with the Father. He has made God known. Literally, he has exegeted God. That is, he has described God in detail in a way that we really couldn't understand God apart from incarnation. And what Jesus reveals about God that we really couldn't understand to any depth apart from Jesus is that God is love. God is love. God gives This is the fundamental nature of God. God is not a grasping God. God is a giving God. God doesn't need to grasp because he is God. He didn't need to create. He chose to create. He didn't have to redeem us. He chose to. He chose to give because giving is his nature because God is love. This is what God does, people. And we don't see it anywhere more clearly than where we see it in the incarnation of God, where God was willing to empty himself and take on human flesh so that we could have life. This is what God does. God gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives even when people ignore him or pass him by or spurn him and curse him. God gives and Paul says, be like that. Be like that. Because that is who God is. And Jesus chose to give. No one took his life. He chose. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us first that Jesus humbled himself, which in all of Greek literature is never considered a virtue. (laughs) You can, you can read all of Greek literature and you will never find humility listed as a virtue. It's, it's a character deficiency. It's a weakness. It's a, a vice even. In Greek culture, they exalted those who were strong and powerful. They praised the proud, which should not surprise us, right? Because we do the same, don't we? We don't exalt humility in our culture. We challenge people, hey, make a name for yourself. Climb the ladder. You, you can climb and you may even have to climb over some in the process, but we exalt those who are powerful and strong and successful and who exalt themselves, right? We follow 
exhibitionists. We are a culture of selfies, right? <laughs> selfies. That's what, let me think about it. We're a culture of selfies. Hey, check out my Facebook page. Check, check me out and like me. Like, like my pictures of me. Like, like me. Follow me. It was Oscar Wilde who said, come over here and sit next to me. I'm dying to tell you all about myself. <laughs> There's a British actor named Michael Wilding. He was once asked, he said, is there any character quality that sets actors apart from others? And he said, well, absolutely. So without a doubt, you can pick out actors by the glazed look that comes into their eyes when the conversation wanders away from themselves. Right? Is that not true about so many of us? Okay, enough about you. Let's, let's talk about me. Let's talk about me. Do you know the greatest barrier that you have to becoming like Jesus? It's you. My greatest barrier to becoming like Jesus? It's me. It's me, this horrible preoccupation with myself and concern for myself that I inherited from Adam and I inherited from Eve. You may not know this about me, but when I was a little kid, I was a hoarder. Every Halloween, uh, we would collect our candy, right? my sister and I. We'd go out together, and we'd, we'd bring back our haul. We'd pour it out on the living room floor. We'd sort through it. We'd do a couple of trades right, for the candies that we wanted. And then my sister and my dad would enjoy her candy. <laughs> a day or two later, it would be gone. I would take my candy, and I would put it in the bag, and I would hoard it. And at lunch, for lunch, I would get up in the morning and I would take one piece of candy and I would put it in my lunch. I didn't put two pieces in because I didn't want to bring one to share. I'd put one piece <laughs> into my lunch, right? And, and I would do that throughout the year. And by the time Halloween came around again, I still had candy. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. Some of my illustrations I exaggerate. I confess, but I'm not exaggerating. The, the following year, I had candy left and my mom would make me take that candy and throw it away. Totally wasted because I had hoarded. I hadn't given. I held it like this. And Paul says, that's not what God is like. This is what God is like. God gives and God gives and God gives and God gives. And what the world exalts, God brings low. And God brings what the world calls low and he exalts it. And so Jesus humbled himself. He made himself low. Paul says, even to this point, even to the point that he went to a cross death. Not just any death, he went to a cross death. He went to the death that was the most cruel form of torture and death that was known to mankind up until that point. Possibly the most cruel form of torture and death known today. The Roman writer Cicero once said this, the very word cross should be removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is, is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. Cicero is saying, you couldn't possibly do this to a Roman citizen. We might do it to others. But it was the most cruel form of torture and death Humiliation. It was humiliating. Stripped strip naked in front of the entire world after being beaten to the point where you were almost dead and then hung up on a cross until you could breathe no more. 
This is what God chose for his son. Oh my. We decorate our churches and our houses and around our necks with crosses. It's decoration for us. It's jewelry for us. In Christ's day, it was humiliation. He didn't die a hero's death. He died a criminal's death. Why? Why? Paul tells us in Romans 5, he says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the demonstration of the nature of God. God is love. How does he demonstrate and prove love? He takes his son and he says, son, you will die. The worst death that mankind has ever been able in its fallen nature to create a cross death so that others can have life. That's why Jesus gave himself for us. And Paul says, now, believers in Jesus Christ, go live that way. How do we do that? When we're so preoccupied with ourselves, how do we, how do we turn and live in a way that is exactly the opposite of that? We live that way because we recognize this is the life that God values. This is the life that God approves and says, well done, well done. Read with me chapter 2, verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted Jesus. He bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because he obeyed the Father even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God rewarded him, because this is the life that God rewards. Okay? This is the life that God values. Now, we won't receive the same reward as Jesus. We're not ruling over the universe, but we're promised that we will rule and reign with him, aren't we? We will be with him in his glory. So as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. So turn and give and give and give, even to those who are just taking from you and are not even saying thanks to you, but you give and you serve and you sacrifice and you pour out your life because that's the example of Christ and he will exalt you at the proper time, which may not be today. It wasn't in that moment for Jesus, we're told in the book of Hebrews, that he, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. That's why, because he looked forward. He didn't live for this day. He didn't live simply for this moment. He lived for the approval of his father forever. Now, how do we apply this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, From time to time, my wife will want to change something in the house. And she'll begin to describe it. And I I give her a pretty typical husband, uh, male, blank stare. You know, I go, okay. She keeps going, what do you think? You like, I, I don't know. I don't, can you, you know, show me a picture. So I become a fan of Pinterest. Now, I don't have a Pinterest account. You can't follow me on Pinterest. But my wife will take me to the computer and she go, how about this? No, how about this? No, how about this? No, I go, that. Okay, yeah, I get it. Now you painted me a picture. Jesus is the picture, men and women, right? God has a cosmic Pinterest account, right? <laughs> and he has tagged photos of Jesus. And he said, like this, or like this, the, the woman at the well, that woman caught in adultery, the, the rich young ruler, the Sermon on the Mount, but like that, like that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others, because that's what Jesus did. So look at that, be like that. So as we close, 
couple of thoughts first for you. Why don't you just examine your heart? Let God's spirit look in. Are you, are you consumed with yourself? Are you preoccupied with yourself? If so, it's probably because you really haven't grasped who you are in Jesus Christ. You haven't laid hold of that. Said, yeah, I am rich in Christ, so I can give. Okay. If you're having a hard time giving or forgiving, it's often because you haven't recognized how much you've been given or how much you've been forgiven. When we recognize how much God has just overwhelmed us with his grace, we can turn around and say, okay, I can give. Let me give. I have an abundance. Let me share. I don't need to hoard my bag of candy. I can pass it out. Right? So let God search and examine your heart. Second, I want you to think specifically about someone that you can serve. Who can you serve this week? Who can you sacrifice your time or or your expertise or your money, your service and sacrifice? Is there a specific person that you can humble yourself so they can be lifted up? What I'm going to do is I'm going to close us here in just a moment. And uh, I'm going to give you a few moments silently before the Lord. Let the Lord just search and examine your hearts. I'm going to pray and then Zach's going to come up and he's going to tell you about a few opportunities to really get connected this semester with the body of Christ. Okay? So let's go before the Lord. Quietly let God examine your hearts and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we confess that we cannot change ourselves. We cannot dig deeply enough into our own hearts sometimes to even see how deeply rooted our self-centeredness is. Father, you can change us. You can mold us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can know that freedom and joy of, of living consistently with your character, of being men and women who show grace, who give and give and give. And so, Father, we pray that we would listen to the voice of your spirit this week. We'd be strengthened by your spirit and the inner man we'd follow the example of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning to you. Um, my name's Zach. It's good to see you today. A couple things I want to share with you. You know, the semester is upon us, not the weather, but the weather is not doing well for us, but the semester is upon us one way or another. The fall is here. And so a couple of things to think about as we get back into rhythms, as we get back into routines, one of the things that we would love as a staff to see everyone in this room, all of us, is to be involved and connected at this church in a small group. We believe that that is one of the greatest ways that we can grow in our walk with the Lord, is to rub shoulders with other believers. Uh, A service like this is excellent for standing together and praising the person in the name of who God is and for hearing instruction and exhortation. But in a small group, when you are connected with a group of believers, that's where you can find encouragement, accountability. That's where you can find counsel. That's where you can study the word together and process what you're seeing and learning through that process. So those are some things that we would love to see happen this semester is all of us would be involved in a small group here at Grace Bible Church. And so we want to point you to gracebible.org. Um, this is our website, and you can get connected here. If you'll go there and look for the tab Connect, you can click on that, and it will say Join a Small Group. And from there, there are lots of options. We have college groups. We have men's groups, women's groups, couples groups. And they all were calling these, all these small groups, we're calling them Grace Groups. Okay? So when you see the term or hear the term Grace Group, that's any small group offering that we have here at this church. We would love for you to get connected. Now, if you want a little bit more information, out here at the ministry desk after the service will be a couple of folks that will be out there to help you 
Find out a little bit more what type of groups there are and where you could actually get involved. So I'd love for you to join us out there. If that's not enough, on Friday of this week, on the 29th, we're going to have what we call First Worship. That's going to be here at the Anderson campus, and it's going to be a time to reorient ourselves toward the Lord as we begin the semester. Now, before that worship time, we're going to have a ministry fair. It'll be right here in this back room, and that's going to be all our ministry representatives and leads will tell you not only how you could get plugged into a group, but if you want to serve, if you want to volunteer in a ministry here, that's where you'll find out about that right there. And we'll have the ministry fair before and after the worship. Worship will start at 7 o'clock. So love for you to join us. It'll be led by Tim Sewell and Brian as they lead us in prayer and worship. Last thing I have for you, and that is how many college girls do we have, college ladies we got in here? All right, good stuff. I'm married, so that's not what I was asking that for. Um, We do have, college ministry has a great opportunity for you guys. I'm, I'm really excited about this. On Thursday and to Thursday, September 4th, we're going to have um, what's called the College Girls Night. And that'll be here at this Anderson campus at 7 p.m. And there's a, a woman named um, Jennifer Strickland. She is a former model. And she's going to just talk about what it looks like to find your identity and self-worth in the person of Christ. And we really want to in, invite all of the college ladies to come and partake in that. So just a couple of ways to get connected um, this semester. But we desire for all of you to join a small group, to join a grace group. So please join us in that. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to come talk to me after the service. Other than that, I would just ask you to do this. In a few minutes, stand up. If you're new, tell someone around you that you're new. And Grace Family, give them a great welcome. Other than that, enjoy your afternoon. Y'all be careful.